We turn again now to the reading and the hearing of God's Word. And as you see there in your bulletin, we're turning to that great book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs, chapter 4. Two Sundays ago, our family was worshiping with the International Christian Church of Provence in Aix, there in the south of France. We made our way to the building where that congregation meets right in the heart of the old city of Aix-en-Provence, and we stepped up to the door there, found it locked, nobody around. We got most things right on our trip, but we misread the website. They weren't meeting in their building that day. Turns out they were meeting outdoors that day in a park on the outskirts of town. So we walked, found them there in the park, ended up meeting with that congregation that Sunday, not in their regular building, but instead spread out in chairs and blankets in this beautiful park in the outskirts of town. And the theme for the service that day, for the gathering, was Proverbs in the Park. Proverbs in the Park. And so, gathering with that congregation, we considered a passage from Proverbs And we talked about themes like wisdom and folly in the Bible, and we did so while spread out in chairs and blankets in this beautiful park on this sunlit Sunday in the outskirts of this town in the south of France. So on the one hand, you're in such a picturesque setting that it almost feels strange, it feels incongruous to be thinking about things like folly in the Bible when you look around and see where you are and think about where you are on the map. On the other hand, it made perfect sense to take up those themes in that place. And I say that because Bible themes like wisdom and folly, what it means to live well in a way that's skilled and what it can get you, where it can lead you, If you don't, those are themes that touch down in parks and in living rooms and in boardrooms and in workplaces and in classrooms. Those are themes that touch down everywhere. They are eminently down to earth, including the earth of a city park in the south of France. They are truths that ground you And so, yeah, we talked about them as we were sitting on the ground of French soil. So that was two weeks ago for our family. So I came home from our trip with Proverbs on the brain. And that's why we're turning here this morning to Proverbs chapter 4. This is a rich chapter. There's a lot in it about giving and receiving Wisdom. You can probably tell from our sermon title today, we're going to focus on the first side of that exchange, the giving of wisdom. So listen now to Proverbs 4. I'll go ahead and read the whole of it. And listen to it with that theme, that calling in mind, that we're to be a people who give wisdom, who hand wisdom over to others, especially the others that are the generation to follow. Proverbs chapter 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, 
and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So this is the word of our God, these wise words for us today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we worship you today as the all-wise God. And we thank you today for your promise that you grant wisdom to your children who seek it from you, and we do now. So we pray that you would bless us as we reflect upon these things. We pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice, our Father, instructing his children in the way that we should go. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs, great book of wisdom in the Old Testament. 
A little bit of background here. Let's get our bearings here before we dive in, take out our magnifying glasses and look at this chapter. Let's think a little bit about wisdom. Because that's the great theme of Proverbs. Wisdom is set before us in this book in so many different ways, beautiful ways, challenging ways. But it's not like we turn to Proverbs 4 and find a dictionary definition of wisdom. So let's think a little bit about what wisdom is. Defined most generally, simply put, wisdom is know-how. It's, it's know-how. It's knowing how to live. Wisdom is knowledge put to practical use. Wisdom is knowing how to bring about the realization of some purpose or purposes that you've got in mind. So we can start there. It's know-how. But we can keep going and fill it out a bit. More fully, wisdom is knowing how to realize Good purposes, not just anything that you might have in mind wanting to accomplish, but good, honorable, right purposes. So it's not just practical, knowing how to accomplish something. It's also moral. It's aiming for good things that you want to see accomplished. And then we can keep going one more step. Most fully. Wisdom is knowing how to realize the best purpose of all, which is knowing and glorifying God. So it's not just practical, how to get something done. It's not just moral, knowing how to get something good done. But it's also finally, ultimately religious. It's knowing how to live in such a way as to glorify the God who made and redeemed you. So that's why Proverbs says, almost right out of the gate in chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where it begins. That's Proverbs 1, verse 7. And then it says something very similar in chapter 9, verse 10, where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that's where it begins. It starts there with a fear of the Lord, a trembling before him. And, and a desire then to glorify him in the way that you live. So it starts there with the fear of the Lord. And from that starting point, wisdom keeps going. Wisdom learns the word of God, this God before whom we tremble, and what he has said in here about what he's like and, and how we're to live before him. It starts with the Word of God, but then wisdom keeps going to the world of God. That is to say, the world that God has made, the world that that God has placed us in. Wisdom learns the world, how the world works in some cases, how the world doesn't work so well now. Truly knowing how to live, true wisdom is a matter of knowing God and serving God in his world in the light of his word. That's what wisdom is. And that's why the book of Proverbs, as you read through it from start to finish, it's such a mix of observations and callings. On the one hand, yes, Proverbs tells you to fear God. 
And then, on the other hand, it goes on to talk to you about money and about marriage and about managing your time. That's also why Solomon, in all of his wisdom, at least at first, yes, he feared the Lord, which is why Solomon at first asked for good wisdom from God when he became king. But then Solomon could also tell you about the trees and the bugs and the reptiles and the fish fish and the flowers and everything else. Wisdom is rich and varied like that. And that bit of background here, thinking through what, what wisdom is, what it entails, that's important for us to bear in mind as we make our way through Proverbs 4. Because you might have noticed, not only is wisdom not defined for us in this chapter, God himself isn't mentioned in this chapter. 27 verses. Which is precisely why it's important to take that step back and to be reminded in chapter 1 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God may not be mentioned in this chapter, but the Lord is very much in this chapter. Because it's all about wisdom, and wisdom begins with the fear, the knowledge of God. So, that's wisdom. That's our theme here. Chapter 4, let's see what we've got here. It's usually broken up into three sections, and that can be helpful as we make our way through it. First section, verses 1 through 9. A second section, verses 10 through 19. And then the third verses 20 to 27. One commentator, Derek Kidner, has given helpful labels to each of those three sections. The first he calls seek. In other words, seek wisdom. The second he calls choose. And he calls it that because in that second section we're told to choose the right path and not the wrong one. The contrast is drawn. And then the third section he calls concentrate. In other words, give yourself in a concentrated way, in a fixed and focused way on gaining the wisdom that you need. Seek, choose, concentrate. So take a look again, verse 1. So here's this first section called seek, right? Verses 1 through 9. How does it begin? Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. So here at the outset, it's sons in the plural. Later on in the chapter, it's my son in the singular. It's not entirely clear why it's sons plural here at the outset. Maybe the wise man is simply addressing himself to young men generally at this point. We don't know, and it's okay. We don't need to. What's clear is what he's got to say to them, which is Listen up. Learn from me. Don't forsake what I have to say to you, because what I've got to say to you is good. These are good precepts. And not only that, but they're good for you. You'll gain insight by them. And then what he says is, I had to learn these same things from my father when I was your age. It really is tradition in the best sense of that term. Remember what tradition means? It means handing over. Well, the wise man is saying, what I'm handing over to you 
is what my father handed over to me first. Look at verse 3. He says, when I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Toward the end of this first section, right, verses 1 through 9, called seek, he even uses marriage language, love affair language. Look at verse 8. Speaking about wisdom, he says, Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland, and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. And so he begins urging these young men to seek. And then the second section, as I said, um, is called Choose, verses 10 through 19. The path of wisdom is the path to life. His father taught him that. And now beginning at verse 10, he's going to teach his son that. Look at verse 10. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. This verse, this chapter, this whole book of Proverbs for that matter, the whole book that is the Bible is unashamed in its appeal to a godly self-interest. Live this way. Believe these things because it is the path to life. It's good and it is good for you. It's the way to live. So he says, hear, my son, accept my words that the years of your life may be many. And he goes on from there to unpack that. So there is that. There's the path of wisdom which leads to life. But then he speaks quite candidly. There's another path. And it doesn't end in life. Look at verse 14. He says, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. So the the contrast is very sharp. And it is the contrast, and he puts it this way, between light and darkness. He sums it up there. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter into a full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So it's not just that the one is a path of light, but it's a path of light that just gets brighter as you follow it. And it's not just that the other one is is a path of darkness, but it's, it's that it gets worse as you follow it. To the point that you don't even know over what you stumble. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, maybe out camping in some remote place where there's no light anywhere. Or the power goes out at home and you don't have light quite yet to reach for. And it's darkness and your eyes haven't adjusted yet to take in any light that's there to be taken in. Can be, can be unsettling, not just to find yourself stumbling, but you don't even know what you're stumbling over and what might be the next thing that you stumble over. So the path of folly is dark like that, and it only gets worse. So wisdom is fearing the Lord, that's the way to go. Folly is scorning the Lord. Rejecting his word, don't go there. That's what this wise man 
is saying to these young men, to his son, saying, my father taught me this. Now I'm teaching you. You got to choose because there are two paths. Make no mistake, there are two. So the first section was seek. The second one was choose. And now here's the third one and the last one. And it is, as I said, concentrate. Verses 20 through 27. Concentrate. In other words, give yourself totally and carefully to the pursuit of wisdom because it's going to require that of you. This is not something you just dally in. You've got to give yourself to this. You've got to invest yourself in the getting of wisdom. Concentrate on this. Look at verse 20. How does he put it? He says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. They are life to those who find them, healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward. Your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. All your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So he's saying, yeah, you've got to focus on this. You've got to concentrate. And, and to drive that home, we might call this section the anatomy of the wisdom seeker. All of his parts are involved. Ears, eyes, feet, mouth. In some cases it's literal. In some cases it's figurative. But concentrating on getting wisdom requires that you, you pour your whole self into it. Above all your heart. For as it says in verse 25. No, verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it, from, from the heart, flow the springs of life. It's in the heart that wisdom is rooted because it's with the heart that you fear God. And remember, that's where wisdom begins. So those three sections to help us make our way. Seek wisdom. Choose that path and not the other. And concentrate on this. Concentrate on knowing the Word of God to guide you and then developing the skill to live in the world of God in light of what He said. Seek, choose, concentrate. Now, one of the things that this chapter makes clear in all of the sections that we've just noticed is that wisdom is something that's meant to be given and received. As I was saying, the idea of tradition or transmission handing over from one to the next. Wisdom wisdom isn't just owned by one person. It's meant to be passed on, especially by parents to their children, but it's not limited to that one relationship. There are a host of different relationships and different settings in which this is true. Wisdom is something that's meant to be given and received and then given again by the one who's just received it. Generally speaking, the older you are, the more you're in a position to give it, and the younger you are, the more you're in the position to receive it, although you never do graduate from receiving wisdom. However old you are, you're always 
learning the Bible. You're always learning the word and seeking to be guided by it. And you're constantly learning how to make your way in the world in light of this word. You never finish that until you finish your earthly course. And not only that, but even at a relatively young age, there are relationships, there are settings in which you're called to be the giver. Because even at a relatively young age, the Lord has begun to work wisdom in you, so you've got something to say. You've got something to share. So wisdom is meant to be passed on. We are all designed to be the givers and receivers of it. And Proverbs 4, as we've already heard, sheds valuable light on on both sides of that relationship. So this morning we're concentrating on the first of them, which is giving wisdom. Lord willing, next Sunday we'll go to the other side and think about what it means to receive it and how we can receive it well. So let me just point out some things that stand out here about how how to give wisdom well. And I am going to point out seven of them because it's the perfect number. So seven points here. Don't despair. I'm going to touch on each of them relatively briefly as he looks at the clock in the back of the hall. So what does it take to give wisdom well? What does it require of you to be somebody who's equipped to do that? Here's the first. We'll call it conviction or ownership. If you're going to be somebody who passes wisdom on to others, you've got to believe it yourself in the first place. Here in Proverbs 4, the wise man keeps talking about my teachings, my words, my commandments, my sayings. And after a while, you might think, who does this guy think he is? He seems to have a rather exaggerated sense of self-importance. Keeps talking about my this, my that. But no, there's nothing wrong with that language. It makes perfect sense. He can talk that way because he's made God's words his own. He's embraced God's word. he's, He's internalized God's words so that now he can refer to them as his own words. So he's not saying, learn from me instead of God. He's not putting himself in the place of God. No, he's saying, learn from me precisely because I have learned from God. Because what I'm setting before you is the word of God, that word brought to bear on life. That stands out, too, in what we heard from 2 Timothy 3, where Paul is urging Timothy about wisdom. And Paul is saying, my this, my that, you know my faith, you know my patience, you know my perseverance. Paul's not setting himself up instead of Christ. He's saying, no, Timothy, look at me. You know me. Listen to me. Learn from me because I have learned wisdom from Christ. So that's the first, conviction or ownership. I've made this path of wisdom my own. Here's a second. We'll call it experience. Personal experience of the lessons that you want to impart. These cannot be mere notions in the head. These have got to be things that we ourselves have tasted in our experience, lessons that we have lived. That's what entitles a man to say, these are my words. That's what makes for real ownership. 
If you want to tell somebody else what path to take in life, it makes a difference to be able to say, listen to me because I've been following that path. It makes an even bigger difference to be able to say, I've been following it for quite some time now. Experience. Experience matters. That's not to say that you can't impart wisdom when it comes to something that you have not experienced. But generally speaking, we are called to taste and see that the Lord is good and that his ways are wise. And it's because we've tasted and seen it that we have it to pass on to others. So conviction was the first, experience was the second. And then related to that, we'll call example a third, which is example. It matters not only to have walked the path of wisdom, but to be walking that path still in the present. Not only to have feared the Lord in life, but to be fearing him still. And in fact, the claim to have followed the path of wisdom in the past, that claim will ring hollow. It may even do damage if it's apparent from your life that you're not really following that path anymore. And sadly, Solomon comes to mind here, a man who started out well and wisely, but who wandered from it. Past experience has got to be crowned with present, ongoing example. It matters to be fearing God still. Here's a fourth. We'll call this one communication. Communication. And these seven points don't have any acronym that I'm aware of. I guess we can see what the seven letters are when we're done. And if it spells something, I'll be shocked. So the fourth is communication. Here the idea is this. The giving of wisdom, the passing on of wisdom from one to another, that does involve the communication of truths by that one person to the other person. In other words, it involves the one person speaking to that other person. This is not some wordless process of osmosis. No, the one person has got to communicate the claims of wisdom to the other in words. Over and over again in this chapter, the wise man keeps talking about my words, like verse 4. My father taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. And then again and again, the wise man urges his sons, his son, to heed his words. And it's not just words. It's also instruction, precepts, teaching, commandments, sayings. Those are all wordy. They're all verbal. So, for example, parents, if you're going to pass wisdom on to your children, you've got to talk to them. You've got to tell them what's true and what's false. You've got to tell them what's right and what's wrong. You've got to say words to them, words by which you communicate these things to their mind, as well as listen to their words as you go back and forth about what you're sharing. For some people, the ideal parent, and usually it's the ideal father, is the quiet type. The quieter, the better. It's the one who doesn't presume to tell his kids what to think. doesn't tell them how to live. He just quietly sets a good example for them. Now, it's certainly true. A good example is a powerful thing. We just talked about that, right? But a silent example, a silent example all by itself is not enough. 
We've got to to talk. It's not to say that words are always at work every moment. Yeah, sometimes the sight of a good example is worth a thousand words. But the truths have got to be in our hearts and minds in the first place if they're going to be reinforced by an example. If the truths aren't there to begin with, then a good example finally says nothing because deeds don't make sense unless words interpret them. That's true of God's deeds and his word, and it's true of our own as well. Communication. We've got to talk. We've got to talk. Here's a fifth. Authority, a sense of authoritativeness in handing over wisdom. And this one is especially true of parents. We all have a kind of authority in one another's lives in the church as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's true. But it's especially the parent who's got authority, God-given authority in the lives of his own children. And he's got to realize that and embrace that and not, not shrink back from that as if he's thinking too lofty about himself. No, there's a real authority that God has given. Our culture box at this point. Generally speaking, parenting in our culture today has lost its nerve. Instead of commanding anymore, it's just a matter of suggesting and cajoling and begging and bribing. Our culture has lost its nerve, and Proverbs 4, among other things, says, get it back. The wise man in Proverbs doesn't shrink back from telling his son what to do and what not to do. He's got authority, and he realizes it, and he speaks like it. It is authority under God. God's word is our final rule, but it is real authority all the same, and he speaks like it with a sense of authority. And then that brings us to our sixth, which is earnestness. The one who would pass on wisdom has got to have some sense of what's at stake here. That ultimately life and death are at stake. And that's the contrast that comes through here in this chapter, right? These two paths, the one leads to life, the other to death. It's that sense of the weightiness of wisdom, the seriousness of it, that drives us to teach and model as we're called. It's that sense that gives teaching an urgent tone we realize that these are not indifferent things. Charles Bridges was a 19th century commentator on Proverbs. Bridges says this, quote, what we read here in chapter 4, quote, this is not the style of a cold pleader enforcing with decent seriousness some unimportant truth. No, it is the father feeling that his child's soul is perishing unless it be taught and led in wisdom's ways, end quote. That's Charles Bridges, and Bridges was right. So parents, you want to teach your children wisdom? At the heart of that is to teach them the fear of the Lord. Well, then you've got to grasp that that's a matter of life and death. And if you do, that will affect the way you teach them. And by God's grace, they'll get it from you. That these are weighty things, serious things, as well as wonderful and joyful things. And yes, they can be all of that at the very same time. 
So here's one more in our list of seven. And this one is memory. Memory. It helps if we've got a distinct memory of having learned these same things from others. The lessons of wisdom are reinforced in a person's mind if he can remember, if he can actually picture in his mind the faces of the people who taught those lessons to him. The wise man in Proverbs 4, he had that experience. He remembered his dad teaching him. No doubt he could picture his dad in his mind's eye, could probably even remember particular moments, maybe even particular conversations that he had with him. And maybe you've had an experience like that yourself. Maybe you can think of a moment when it made a difference in your decision-making that you were able to bring to mind a name, a face, that you were able to remember someone who had an influence on you, maybe even a particular moment when that influential person said something to you that stuck with you, and that memory helped you to guide, guide your steps in that moment. Wisdom rightly works that way. It worked that way for Timothy. That's, that's what we heard earlier when I read from us from 2 Timothy. Early on in that book, Paul says, Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And then a few chapters later, as I read for us earlier, Paul says to him, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And now from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, Timothy, your mother, your grandmother, he names them. Lois and Eunice. Remember them. Remember how they handed wisdom over to you because they handed the scriptures over to you. The scriptures that make you wise that make you wise for salvation. Memory works powerfully like that. There's also the flip side of memory. You might call it the folly side. We might not exactly wish for this, but sometimes it works this way too. Sometimes it makes a difference in our lives when we can remember a name or picture a face of somebody who made a shipwreck of their lives because they turned their backs on God, because they were foolish. Sometimes wisdom works that way too, and it ought to, but it's far better, far sweeter when we can remember somebody who handed over wisdom and kept going with it themselves. So, brothers and sisters, those different aspects of what it means, what it requires of us to hand wisdom over. I I realize I'm I'm cognizant of the fact that a seven-point sermon can be a little daunting. Sometimes you can reach point number three and think, I'm struggling here, I give up, no more. But these are all important aspects of what it means for us to be those who hand wisdom over to the next generation. And we, we want these things to be true of us. So this is an opportunity for us to take stock, to examine ourselves. And let me say this, as you do that, as you reflect upon the points we've walked through here today, and as you examine yourself in the light of them, let's start here. Give thanks. 
Give thanks to the Lord insofar as you find these things are true of you. And don't overlook that gracious work that he's done. I know it's very easy to see your own sin and to be quite mindful of how you don't measure up to these points, all seven of them. But don't miss, don't diminish the, the degree to which the Lord has made you wise and has worked in you in such a way that, yes, you really can hand these things over to others. And then the other thing to say is that insofar as you find that you do struggle here, you find that you don't measure up in all the ways that you might, take heart. Because this God of wisdom, who requires wisdom of you, who imparts it to you, he is gracious. Gracious to forgive when you haven't been as wise as you should have been. Gracious to change you, to teach you. Because he is the all-wise God. It's true of him first. And this all-wise God aims for his own glory. And he's actually bringing about his glory in the lives of his people, in our lives, by causing us to grow in all of these ways. So if you find folly in your life, don't despair. Instead, look to the all-wise, all-gracious God to make you more like him. May God grant it that we be a people of wisdom who pass it on, a people who are making wisdom memories now for generations that are rising alongside us. May it be so. And let's pray together. Father, we do worship you this day as a God of wisdom and grace, and we, we need you to be both. We pray that you would stir within our hearts a longing for wisdom, that we might seek it, that we might be careful to choose it, for it is not the only path before us, and that we might concentrate wholeheartedly and whole-mindedly on getting it. And we do pray that you would build us up, all of us, in this church family, that we might be better equipped to pass wisdom on. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.